Let's turn together to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 10 through 12. Verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you tell us to tremble at your word. And Lord, we, we want to be those who tremble at your word. You listen with ears to hear, hanging on your every word, Lord, and listening to you with the reverence for your word that you deserve. Lord, we know that your word gives us life, for you speak the truth, and the truth is what sets us free. So, Lord, I pray that this morning, as we turn our attention to the scripture, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, you would instruct us, you would open our mind, you would broaden our horizons, you would remove the things that clog our hearing, you would help us to think, and not to just think in the way that the world thinks, but to notice that we do that often, but to think your way, Lord to hear your thoughts, and Lord, to be set free by them. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for this time to be together. Please, Lord, by your spirit, speak to us through your word and change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, to begin, how many of you have ever heard those jokes that go like this? You know you're a fill-in-the-blank when, Right? You know you're a redneck when, you know you're this when. So here's a few. For a U-Ton. You know you're a U-Ton. You've probably heard these before, and if you haven't heard them, you probably felt this. You know you're a U-Ton when you know what fry sauce is and can make it yourself. Right? I, mean, I, don't, I didn't know what fry sauce was before I came to Utah. We didn't have fry sauce in the gun post. You know you're a U-Ton when you don't pronounce the T in mountain, latent, antelope, or curtain. <laughs> and I bet if you're around here long enough, you start talking like that. <laughs> you know you're in Utah when you feel like a rebel for drinking a cup of Folgers coffee. <laughs> right? So rebellious. You know the difference between a steakhouse and a steakhouse. <laughs> you know you're a Utah when cars in the slow lane are traveling fastest, cars in the fast lane are traveling slowest, cars in the middle lane are always trying to exit. Right? <laughs> that interesting middle lane. And lastly, you know you're a Utah when you have neighbors who are actually prepared to survive a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Ever had neighbors like that in my life? These are funny things. They're funny characteristics of Utahns, and there's a whole bunch more you can find. Just Google it. What about the characteristics of the gospel? You know you've got the gospel when characteristics of an apostle. You know you're an apostle when what will we say then about characteristics of the gospel or characteristics of an apostle? And the passage that we read this morning is really all about that very thing. It's all about this question. What are the characteristics of an apostle? What are the characteristics of the gospel? That's what this is all about. And really those two things are related. The characteristics of an apostle and the characteristics of the, go the gospel are inseparable. The gospel made Paul an apostle. And yet it was him being an apostle and, and being apostolic that show he had the gospel. We're going to look at that this morning when we examine this passage. I've entitled this sermon, Characteristics of the Apostolic. Characteristics of the Apostolic. 
And before we, we advance further here and, and look at this passage, since we are jumping into the middle of a letter, it's important for us to recall the context and get our bearings. In verse 1 through 5, we've already looked at this. Verses 1 through 5. This is the, the formal salutation of the letter. This is the customary salutation where Paul gives his greetings and, and tells us who he's writing to. But as we saw when we looked at verses 1 through 5, this salutation, this opening salutation, is anything but customary for Paul. First of all, it's brief, it's sharp, and it sets the tone for the rest of the letter. There are three elements in this salutation that we looked at that made it different from all other salutations of Paul. First of all, he defines his apostleship negatively in the salutation, if you remember. Usually he says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. But in the salutation in Galatians, he says, Paul, an apostle, not of man, nor by man. He defines his apostleship negatively, not of man. This is the only salutation where Paul talks about the death of Christ in his salutation because this is a major theme throughout the book of Galatians. It's the only salutation where Paul includes a doxology. Look at verse 5. Which again, is a, not a stylistic add-on on the end of his salutation. That is essential to the entire letter. All of those things are central to the letter. Every word contains an argument and the salutation is the seed of the entire book. Last week we looked at verse, verses 6 through 9 after the salutation where Paul would normally give thanksgiving and prayer. We don't find either of those things where we would normally expect them to be. But what we do find is Paul expressing his amazement and his incredulity at the Galatians' desertion from the gospel. That they're entertaining deserting the gospel. That some of them have deserted the gospel. And he emphasizes in verses 6 through 9, there is only one gospel, and he warns them, if you depart from this gospel, you actually are departing from God. You're departing from his, the, this gracious God who called you by his grace and, and saved you by his grace, or want, who, who offers salvation by grace. You're departing from not just a message, but from he who gives the message and he who saves. You're departing from peace, and you're departing from eternal salvation. Paul tells them the consequences of what's going to happen if you leave the gospel and follow these men who had come to Galatia with a different message. They were calling it the gospel, and Paul says it was no gospel at all. He warns them. The seriousness of the situation demanded that when Paul wrote this letter, he wasted no time to jump into it, get explicit, and to warn them. There was no time to waste. There was no time for, for stylistic... Uh, flourishes and pleasantry. It's like someone's walking toward a cliff and they don't even realize they're going to fall off. Would you, at that moment, say, hello there, my friend. Nice weather, isn't it? How you doing? What's your employment? What's your name? By the way, you're about to fall off a cliff. <laughs> you know? <laughs> How many of you ever heard of uh, Vince Coleman and the Halifax Explosion of 1917? You've heard of that? Maybe it's, maybe it's just me because I'm Canadian and we heard about that a lot in Canada. That was important Canadian history. In 1917, there was a French ship. This was during the First World War. And it was basically loaded with explosives. It was going over to Europe with, uh, with weapons and ammunition. And essentially, it was just this ship, this floating ship full of TNT, basically, in, in Halifax Harbor. And it collided with another vessel in the harbor and it caught on fire. And as it caught on fire, everyone was scattering. You know, the common people in the harbor didn't really know what was going to happen, but the people in the know knew what was going to happen because they knew what was on board that ship. And when that ship exploded, it decimated Halifax. It decimated the harbor. It killed over 2,000 people, injured over 9,000 people. The 90-millimeter gun on the French ship was found 3.5 miles north of the explosion. The anchor on the ship was found 2 miles south. Buildings fell 62 miles away from that explosion, and it was heard and felt over 130 miles away. It was the largest explosion in history that was not nuclear. The Halifax explosion of 1970. Huge thing. Vince Coleman, we hear about 
we Canadians hear about this man. He was a train dispatcher. And he was in the harbor when this happened. And when he saw the ship on fire and he knew what was going on, there were some trains that were coming into Halifax. And he was the dispatcher. And instead of running himself, Coleman stayed behind and he messaged the train through Morse code and told them not to come into the Halifax Harbor. And he died telling them not to come and stopped the trains and saved many lives. And so he's considered a hero. But I can assure you that when Vince Coleman was doing the Morse code, he wasn't saying, hello guys, how's everything going? You know, there was an urgency there that cut to the chase, right? That got straight to the point because people's lives were in danger. He saw the danger and he acted accordingly to the danger. He didn't care how many hairdos would get frazzled, right? In that moment. And as horrific as the Halifax explosion was, how many of you know and believe that the loss of a soul is even more horrific than something like that, than the Halifax explosion? And so the urgency of Paul, the cutting to the chase, the putting aside of pleasantries, which we would all expect, you know, should be there, is justified. It's in the context of this urgency and forwardness of Paul, that in verse 10 he begins to defend his apostleship. In verse 10 he starts to formally defend his apostleship, and he's going to continue to defend his apostleship onward, as we're going to see as we go on here in Galatians. He goes into an autobiographical section. All of this is in the context of urgency. All of it is in the context of him defending his apostleship, not for his apostleship's sake alone. Paul is not urgent because he just wants everyone to think he's an apostle. He's defending his apostleship because the gospel here is what's at stake. It's all for the sake of the gospel. To Paul, the gospel is the preeminent thing. The truth is the preeminent thing to him. Douglas Moo says, in this section, Paul clearly focuses on his own apostleship. But that apostleship, in turn, is focused on, and to some extent determined by, the gospel that he preaches. This morning... As we look at these three verses, I'm going to point out three characteristics of the apostolic that come through here in these three verses. Three characteristics of the apostolic. And I'm sure there's many more characteristics, but just from this passage, I'd like to draw our attention to three. First, you know that you're apostolic when you are not seeking to please men, but to please God. Look at verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men if I were still trying to please men? What? If I was trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I would not be an ambassador of Christ if my goal, if what I was seeking for and striving was to please men. I would not be an apostle of Christ because you can't do both. You can't please men and seek to please God. You can't seek to please men and be a servant of Christ. These are antithetical. These are impossible things. You can't do both. It's one or the other. And why is that? Why can't you please both? It's because God and man are on two totally different wavelengths and they both have two totally different objectives. Brothers and sisters, God and man have two totally different objectives. And to satisfy God's objective is to frustrate man's objective. And to satisfy man's objective is to frustrate God's objective. What does man want? What is man after? Well, let me put it this way. Man wants false peace at the expense of truth. Man wants peace at all costs. Man wants Peace at all costs, right? How many of you feel the pressure of that on a daily basis? Don't rattle the boat. Don't rock the boat. Don't shake the cage. Everybody get along. Yeah, but the truth. Yeah, but what's more important than the truth? Everybody getting along. So if you want to please men, you got to just keep your mouth shut and be nice. Man wants false peace at the expense of truth. Well, peace at the expense of truth. Here's what God wants. God wants truth at the expense of false peace, which leads us to truth. God wants 
truth at the expense of false... God hates false peace. If the cage has to be rattled, let it be rattled. If it's, a, if it's just a facade, if it's just a front, if everyone's just getting along superficially and there's no truth, rattle. So that people can have true peace. What if Moses and Joshua were men's peace? What if they were seeking to please men? What if they didn't want to rock the boat? What if they just wanted everyone to get along at the expense of truth? Would we, would we know about Moses and Joshua today, I wonder? Would they be the servants of the Lord that the Bible says they were? The Bible says that they were the servants of God. And they were the servants of God because you can see when you read it, they weren't about not rattling the cage, right? They were about truth. What if the prophets were about pleasing men? What if the prophets were not, you know, God says, Thus saith the Lord, I want you to say this. And said, God, that's going to make a lot of people mad. I'm not going to say it. I'll go with a different message, though. Tell, tell me something nice to say to them. Wait, who are they starting to sound like now? The false prophets that we hear about in the, in the Old Testament. What makes it the difference between a, a prophet and a false prophet is whether you're seeking to please man or whether you're seeking to please God. Whether you're actually uh, serving God or serving the interest and the objective. Yeah. Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that's what the Father's spoke about the false prophets. Everybody loved the false prophets because all they had to say was nice things. They wouldn't rattle the cage and speak the truth. And it's the same with Paul here. You know, whenever an apostle writes a letter, what do they often They often start the letter by saying, Paul or Peter or James, a servant of Christ, a servant of God. Right? Don't just brush over those words. Don't just think, oh, that's just stylistic or that's just what they would normally say. No, no, when they say they're serving Christ, watch out! Because that letter is not catering to man. That is not a man-catering letter. That letter is written to please God. The truth is coming your way. It might rattle some cages, right? The deadly book, the dangerous book this is when the servants of the Lord pick up the pen to write what the Lord has to say. That's why people don't want, they want to undermine the Bible because of what it has to say. So it's characteristic of, of the apostolic. You know you're being apostolic when you aren't seeking to please men, but when you are seeking to please God and speak the truth. And this is what Paul is doing here. Everything up to this point in verse 10, verse 1 through 9, shows this point, which is why Paul brings it up here in verse 10. His urgency, his forwardness, his no-nonsense, his tone itself is proof Paul is not a people pleaser here. He sees the problem like Vince Coleman saw and he acts accordingly. He sees that there's an absence of truth, a departing from the truth, and he acts accordingly. No nonsense. I know I'm going to make a lot of people upset. He even says in chapter 4, am I becoming your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Right? You're not liking me, are you? Because I'm telling you the truth. But this is what makes me apostolic. This is why I'm a servant of the Lord. Because I'm telling you the truth. Truth was more important than anything else to Paul in the preservation of the gospel. I mean, consider his circumstances. The man was a Pharisee, and as he goes on to tell us, he was actually uh, advancing in the religion of Judaism more than others. This man was applauded in his previous uh, group. This man had the nation of Israel thinking, wow, what an awesome guy this is. He's, he's a star. He's an up-and-coming star. He's going to be the next leader. This guy's going to be Gamaliel III, you know? He's going to be the man that we're all going to look to and we all admire and we're all going to follow. Paul was on the track for that. He had the accolades of his nation, his own people. And what did he trade it for? He said it was all... He cut, he got rid of that all. He lost the favor of his people. All of a sudden now, Paul the, Christian is, Paul the Christian is hated by his own people. He lost the favor of his own people. Did he gain the favor of the Gentile world? No. He was hated by them too. He was a troublemaker. He was... So you think, well, Paul, now you're just this traveling preacher who has a few followers in various different cities. Gentiles. I mean, these guys are the pagans. Obviously, if Paul was seeking to please man, if he was seeking to get men to like him, 
He made the wrong decision becoming a Christian. Right? <laughs> he ended up dead, right? He did. Beheaded. And even said in one of his last letters that most people have converted him. But he said, I don't care because the Lord is with me. Isn't that what he said, right? I don't care. I'm with God. I've got God. Paul was not a people pleaser, but he was a God pleaser. John Chrysostom, commenting on this passage in Galatians 10, he says, See here the apostolic spirit, the evangelical philosophy. Why did Paul do it all? He did it because he loved God and he wanted to serve God because he knew who God, he knew who God was. God had revealed himself to Paul and Paul was hooked. And everything else after that was worthless. How many times, brothers and sisters, are we in situations that call for us to act and to speak the truth, but we fail because we're people too? Have you ever been in a situation like that where, man, the truth needs to be spoken right now, but oh, it's just going to rattle everybody and I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to speak up. I'm, people aren't going to like me after that. That's not what Jesus was like, right? That's not what Paul was like. He confronts Peter himself in front of everybody. It's not because Jesus and Paul are rude, but it's because the truth is at stake. The truth is at stake. I'm not saying that rudeness is apostolic, but cowardice is not apostolic. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, Paul actually says, Pray for me that I might speak the word of God boldly as I ought to speak. That's what he said. So the word of God is meant to be spoken frankly and boldly, which is what the Greek word there is uh, for bold. It means frankly and courageously. Frankly and courageously. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, the apostles are gathered and they're praying and they pray to God that God would fill them with boldness to speak the word. That's what they all want. Is both God, help us not to cave in to the pressures of man and man-pleasing. You've got the gospel. You've sent us to preach it. And was, was the first century church the only church that was sent to preach the gospel? Or are we also the church sent to preach the gospel as well? Right? And don't we need boldness and courage if they needed it? If they were praying for it and they said, God, help us to courageously preach in the midst of this people that really don't want to hear it. And so we also need to pray that God would give us boldness to be apostolic and to not be people pleasers, but to see the glory of God and the will of God as the most important thing. One of the most liberating things about the gospel and about being a servant of Christ is it frees you from the bondage of trying to seek to please man. What bondage that is, isn't it? You're not really living authentically. You're not really living your life because you may want to say this or that, but you're always just quiet and shut up because you're afraid of what men will say. The proverb tells us that the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. But the fear of God and not of man will release you. You know you're apostolic when you aren't seeking to please men but God. Secondly, look at verse 11. You know that you're apostolic when your gospel is not according to man, but according to God. See, now there's a connection here. Notice the word for. There's a connection actually in all these verses. For am I now? For I would have you know. For I need to receive this. So all of these things tie together and, and overlap. So this point is connected with the last point. We're not just talking only about uh, the characteristic of the apostolic to be bold and to not please man. Now we're talking about the content. The content of your message is not according to man, but it is according to God. The content of your message is not according to man, but according to God. Here's what John Calvin says about the, about the gospel. Quote, It savors nothing of human. It savors of nothing human. The gospel you believe that's true? It savors of nothing human. Now, it might be confusing for someone. What do you mean it savors of nothing human? See, I like, to use the word, I like how he used the word savor there. The taste. 
Have you ever heard of those taste testers who are experts at putting something in their mouth and they can detect all the flavors and they're hired by these, these food companies to come in and make sure everything's just right? You know, I think that we need to be like that as Christians. We need to be expert food testers, spiritual food testers. And we need to be able to hear a message and swish it around in our mouth a little bit and say, no, that savors of the human, right? That savors of what Paul says here, of man. That message savors of man and not of God. We need to learn to be experts at that. Now the false teachers, interestingly enough, are accusing Paul of preaching people pleasing God and of preaching a gospel according to you. This is why he's defending himself here, because they're saying, you're just trying to please everybody, Paul. Your gospel is not really the gospel of God, and it's not of God. It's just the gospel of man. How many of you have ever heard this accused to you? Have you ever been accused of preaching a gospel of man? Or, uh, or have you ever heard of our gospel being accused of being of man or people-pleasing thing? It sounds like this. You're just catering to man's approval by not telling them that they have to keep the commandments. Right? See, God gave the law at Mount Sinai, and we know that, Paul. And you're just, you're just giving people an easy way. You're just making it easy for people. And everybody likes it to be easy, Paul. And you're just trying to please the Gentiles by telling them that they don't have to keep the commandments. You're, you're preaching a gospel of man, Paul. Man-pleasing, easy. You don't have to keep the commandments. It's not what God said. It's so obvious, Paul, that you're wrong. And if they're right, it would be pretty obvious, wouldn't it? I mean, if they're right, oh, yeah, it is pretty obvious. It's easy going and don't keep the commandments. Yeah, obviously that's wrong. You know that Luther and the Reformers were charged with the same thing by the Catholics. Like, you, guys are, you guys are not preaching God's word because you're just giving people the easy way out. This whole grace message. And what did Paul and Luther and the Reformers say? They said, no, actually, you guys are the people pleasers and you guys are the ones who are preaching the gospel according to them. So they're telling each other the same thing. They're both accusing each other of being people pleasers and preaching man-made gospel. Who's right? How do we know? Because sometimes it seems like the Jews and the Catholics are right. It sounds right what they're saying. It sounds good. And ours sometimes does seem kind of crazy, doesn't it? Can I really just believe in Christ and be saved without keeping the commandments like God said at Mount Sinai? I mean, he wrote it with his finger on stone. Thou shalt not lie. That's God. I mean, that's undeniable. That's God. And now you've got people telling me I don't have to do that to be saved? Woo! That sounds kind of crazy. You feel that? I mean, the world feels that. If you don't feel that, you're really not alert. Because the world looks at our message and they feel that and they say, ah, the Christians are totally wrong. It's got to be commanded. And here's our answer to that. Okay? And I, I quote Jesus from John 7.24. Jesus says this, and this is the key. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. That's the solution to this problem, to this question. Don't judge according to appearance, meaning, yes, it kind of appears that way, doesn't it? It sort of does appear that the Jews and the Catholics are right when they're pointing the fingers at those grace preachers. It does appear that way. But don't judge according to appearance. Judge righteously. Judge with righteous judgment. Let righteousness be in the equation when you judge. That's what Jesus commands us to do, and that's what Jesus did when he came and judged. When he came and executed judgment, and he spoke judgment, he was judging righteously. And what are the things that Jesus said? Did Jesus agree with the Pharisees? Did Jesus come along and say, yeah, you do have to keep all the... You know, these guys are right, and they're doing it. Here's what Jesus said. Here's the, I'm just going to paraphrase his message. No one keeps the law. None are good. All are evil. You won't have a right to judge and condemn another person. Right? Isn't this what Jesus came and said? Didn't Moses give you the law and none of you keep it? See, Jesus wasn't saying the law is something to be ignored. He's just saying, you guys aren't keeping it either. 
you Jews and you Catholics who say, you know, we have to keep the commandments to be saved. He's saying, you're not keeping the commandments. You're not doing it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's what Jesus told us. Seek God's righteousness. Seek God's righteousness. Jesus made it very clear you need righteousness to enter the kingdom of God. You need to seek God's righteousness. You need a righteousness greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's the greatest of impieties to ignore the law of God and to exalt oneself over another person. It's the greatest impiety to hold the law of God over someone's over someone else's head and say, I am better than you. You don't keep the commandments, but I do. When the law of God equally condemns both of you, you hypocrite, Jesus would say, you hypocrite. Judge righteous judgment. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19, the, the Apostle Peter says, these guys promise liberty and freedom, but they themselves are the servants of corruption. He was talking about people that everyone would admire and respect. He's talking about people that call them to obedience to the commands as the way of salvation. And he said, this, this is going to make you blessed. This is going to set you free. This is going to give you salvation. You hear that from these religions. They'll tell you that. You want to be blessed and happy and free? Keep the rules. Like me. And Peter says, he cuts through the facade, says they promise liberty, but they're actually servant to corruption. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6.13. Paul says the same thing in this letter. He says about these false teachers, for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. This is the point. The Christian message is not um lowering the law or denigrating the law or setting it aside. It's actually putting it in its place and saying, well, let's take a look at it, guys. Okay. You want to talk about law? Well, don't you hear the law? Let's look at it. Okay, if that's what the law says, do you keep it? Do I keep it? No. None of us keep it. So that way we can't be saved through the law. We can't be saved by obedience to the law because none of us do it. The law requires a love that is perfect towards God and neighbor with no exceptions. And we all fail. So we need another way. So a man-made religious message appears to be good. It appears to be from God. It preaches against some bad behavior, doesn't it? It preaches against some bad behavior. Lying is wrong. Don't do that. Murder is wrong. Don't do that. Stealing is wrong. Don't do that. You'll not go to heaven if you do that. Stop it. Be good, because God tells you to be good. It preaches against some bad behavior. What a man-made message does not preach is the actual law of God, which requires perfect love for God and for me. And they don't preach the perfect law, and they only preach some bad behavior so that they can maintain their own self-righteousness and feel good about man and have optimism in man and have glory in God. The world is against some bad behavior that makes everybody feel nice and good. God is against false righteousness. God is against self-righteousness. God is against us falsely feeling good about ourselves when we shouldn't feel good about ourselves. God is against us having optimism where we shouldn't have optimism. God is about truth. God is about us having optimism in Him. God is about us entering the truth by confessing we're unrighteous and looking to Him for our salvation and for our hope and for our peace. As we, as we go on in Galatians, these two different sides, the side of man and the side of God, are going to be described by the words flesh and spirit. Flesh is when you're trusting in what you do as a man. Flesh is when you're trusting not in God, when your optimism is not in God, when your peace is not in God. It's in something that you can accomplish. And it's always connected to the lowering of the law. But the spirit, as we're going to see when we go through Paul, is trusting in God's truth and in what God can do in his ability to save you by his grace. So yeah, it appears to look like you're right, Jews and Catholics, but the reality is you're not judging righteous judgment because it's the message of the Christian gospel alone and no other message that actually takes the law seriously, that actually looks at the law for what it is, that actually declares that no one is righteous according to the law, no one keeps the commandments, 
And therefore we're guilty and we have to put our hope in a merciful, saving God. We have to put our hope in the Lamb of God, the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for our sins. We point to the cross, not to ourselves. Judge righteous judgment. Barry Horner says this, Australian pastor, man so prone to boasting in meritorious works and thus being alien to the thought of grace could not devise a gospel of grace that excluded boasting and meritorious works. Man would never have thought it up. The gospel is not a message from man because man would never have thought up a gospel of grace that excludes boasting. Man will talk about gospels of grace that include boasting of man. Oh, God is merciful. God is gracious. God is forgiving. But yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of things you need to do so that you can have pride in both. But what does the gospel say? Not of works, lest any man should boast. And no one would have thought that up. That is not a message from man, but from God. Pastor in Illinois, Josh Moody, says this, We all tend toward human gospel. Their taste suits our palate. We prefer things that are perhaps masked in novel formulations or interesting speculations, but which at the bottom are basically human. But any gospel that does not center on the cross of Jesus Christ is not truly God-centered in any real sense. It's the cross that Paul is here preaching. It's the cross of Christ that is the religion and the message of God. Because at the cross, human righteousness is annihilated and God's righteousness is exalted. And we are miraculously saved by God's power and not our own through what he did for us on the cross and dying for us. Our response is not to work. Our response is not to meet requirements and standards. Our response is to trust in what Jesus has done for us. And it's this alone that glorifies God, that glorifies his power, that glorifies his righteousness, and that glorifies his love. You know you're apostolic when you've got the gospel that's not according to me, but the gospel that's according to God. Amen? Now, the gospel does please us, doesn't it? I mean, I'm pleased by the gospel, are you? I'm happy I'm safe. I'm happy I'm safe. So don't think that, you know, oh, well, if I take any pleasure in the gospel, it's from man, not from God. I'm happy that I'm safe through Jesus Christ. But just consider how I am safe. How I am safe, the means of my salvation, is not a message that caters to man, right? See, the problem here is not the desire to be blessed or safe. God's not against that. But how are you going to be blessed? How are you going to be saved? Are you going to be saved through the truth that annihilates man's pride and gives all glory to, be, to God? Or are you going to seek to be saved through the means that can give you something to boast? If you are pleased by the cross this morning, if you're glad that God gets all the glory, understand that is not any pleasure in you that is of man. That is the pleasure of God in you. That's the Spirit of God in you that is pleased that God is getting all the glory. That's not something that's natural to you. That's something that God has given to you so that you can say, I'm glad that it's not about me. And you know what? I am unrighteous and I do deserve hell and no glory. I'm glad that God will get all the glory and I'm going to be praising Him forever and ever because He's worthy of it. That's the Spirit of God speaking. That's not man speaking. That's not just natural to you as a man to say, yeah, give God all the glory. That's the Spirit. And praise God for His Spirit in us. So if you really want to help men, please God, not man. Because if you just seek to please man and cater to what men want, you're not going to help man at all. And you're going to give them a false peace that is not according to God. Lastly this morning, so we've looked at, you know you're an apostolic when you're not seeking to please men but God. You know you're apostolic when your gospel is not according to man but according to God. And then lastly, verse 12, 
I, I draw this principle from verse 12. You know you are apostolic when your gospel is not thus saith man, but thus saith the Lord. When your gospel is thus saith the Lord. And once again, there's a connection with the word for to what goes before, so we're still kind of overlapping here. What is of God, what, what is according to God, excuse me, in verse 11, the gospel that is according to God is according to God because it's from God. It would never be according to God if it was from man. It's according to God. It's in God's wisdom and God's thought and God's way. Because what's the origin of this thing? Did Paul think it up? Did Peter think it up? Did James think it up? Did Eli think it up? Did Martin Luther think it up? What's the origin of it? Well, because it's according to God, the origin is from God. This is a thus saith the Lord gospel. This is not a thus saith man gospel. By the way, many, many will point out that verse 12 here is evidence that Jesus Christ is God and no man. Look what it says. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but from Jesus. Meaning, Jesus is no man. I didn't receive it from man. I received it from Christ. Which is evidence here that Jesus is God. The same point can be made in verse 1 of chapter 1, verse 3 of chapter 1, verse 10 of chapter 1, and verse 12 here. Paul is saying, not Peter said, not James said, but God said. And Paul knew that he got his gospel from God, even though this was being challenged by the false teachers, because the false teachers were under the impression that Paul got his gospel from the apostles. And this is actually a very important thing we're going to look at next week as we go on in chapter 1, that Paul goes to great lengths to show, no, 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 I didn't get it from the apostles. When I, when, I, when I became a Christian, I didn't spend time with the apostles. When I went to Jerusalem, I only talked to this one guy briefly. I, didn't, I did not get my gospel from these men. Because the false teachers were saying, Paul, you didn't get it from God. You got it secondhand from these men. And then the false teachers were further saying, you and those men are contradicting the Jerusalem apostles and and Peter and, and James, they don't agree with you. And you got it from them, so you're wrong. And you need to change and adjust. And guys, don't listen to Paul. He got it wrong. Don't follow this man. He got it secondhand, and now he's corrupted. And Paul's saying, no. No, I didn't get this from man. This is not according to man. Now, he's going to go on and say that he doesn't disagree with, with Peter and James, but that's not his point here. The point is, I didn't get this from man. So you can tell people all day that I disagree with James and Peter, and yeah, and I'll, I'll show you I don't, but that's not the point. The point is, I got it from God. And that's why it's a gospel not according to man. This verse can trouble some, and they can think, well, what is, how do we apply this to ourselves? I mean, do we also have to say that I neither received the gospel from man or was I nor was I taught it from man, but I got it from the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, do we all have to say that? Because I know that for most of us, we received the gospel through the teaching of someone, right? Somebody came and told us the gospel. I think it would be absolutely wrong to take this verse and to make a principle and say that this is just the universal principle that every Christian needs to uh, make sure they can prove, like Paul in his autobiography here, that they never actually heard the gospel from any man that they really got it just from God. You see, this is a unique and special circumstance and situation with Paul. He's, he's needing to defend his apostleship and show that he got the gospel directly from Christ. We need not have to say that. It's enough for us that we are convinced that the message that we receive through teaching is, in fact, from God and not from man. That this is actually not a man-made message. It didn't originate with man, but it originated with God. But Paul, for the circumstances that he was under, he had to prove that he got it direct. Do you think, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. And verse 13.
And this is, this is in keeping with how we typically receive the gospel. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. I hear you saying, you guys, you guys got the gospel from us. That's how it came to you. The gospel message came to you through me, the apostle. But when you received it, you didn't receive it as it was the word of man, but you received it as the word of God, which is what it actually is. I'm just the mailman passing it along. This is actually God's word. And Paul got that direct from God himself. Is that how you think of the gospel? Is it as us saith the Lord? Or is it as us saith man? And it's kind of cool. You know? I come to church because the men have some neat things to say. Friends, don't think for a minute that the gospel that is preached by the church, by Christians, or by me at church when you come, is from man. That when, when I share here at the pulpit righteousness through faith and Christ died for your sins so you can be saved, don't think, oh, that's just Eli's preaching, Eli's ideas. Because it's only when you believe that it is from God that it performs its work in you because only then do you believe it's actually true. Right? Otherwise, it's just, this is a nice-sounding guy talking rather than, this is true because this is actually what God did and said and what he's actually calling me to believe. God himself is speaking. And until you know that it's thus saith the Lord, it's not really true. It's just not. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7? Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Right? If you hear His voice... Now, the authors of Hebrews wasn't expecting God to be audibly speaking from the clouds. But he's saying God is speaking through the prophets and speaking through Jesus and speaking through the apostles. Now, you can, you can either hear these sound waves as the word of man, or you can hear God's voice in it. And if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. God has spoken. It's the whole premise of the book of Hebrews. God has spoken into our world. God has interfered. God has brought revelation and truth and salvation. God has said this. Do you believe what God says? Thus saith the Lord. We're not sitting around just coming up with these things. But it's from God. And that's the secret of the apostles' lives. Is that they were convinced that God had spoken. They got up in the morning and they knew that God had spoken. They, they were thus saith the Lord kind of men. They weren't just cool ideas kind of men. You know you're apostolic when your gospel is not thus saith man, but thus saith the Lord. Amen? In conclusion then, there's these three characteristics of the apostolic that I can see here in this passage. Show me more. Uh, you know you're apostolic when you're not pleasing men but God. You know you're apostolic when your gospel is not according to man but according to God. And you know you're apostolic when your gospel is thus saith the Lord. Paul had this, these characteristics. He knew how to make fry sauce. He knew what it was to be apostolic, and he had this. The question is, do we? I'm not just saying, do we, All Saints Church congregation. I'm asking at large that the, the, those who claim to be Christians, are we really apostolic? Because there's a lot of claiming to be Christian going around, isn't there? There's so many people that have the name Christian on them, or Christ, or Jesus, or even Apostle, whatever. Don't be deceived by the mere labels and the mere words. Don't be deceived by the building and the steeple and the symbol. The question is, 
Do they have the characteristics of the apostolic? Are they seeking to please man or God? Are they, do they have the gospel of truth? Are they hearing from the word of God and speaking the word of God or just as man? Are we catering to man or are we serving Christ for the good of man? Are we preaching the true gospel and are we being discerning people who know how to taste test the food that comes our way? Are we believing, thus saith the Lord? Ask yourself. Are we apostolic? I just pray that the Spirit would work in us to will and to do according to His good pleasure and that God would be glorified in His apostolic church. The church that He, he intends. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken into this world. Thank you that we aren't left to ourselves. Lord, thank you for Paul and his courage, Lord, to lose everything, to speak the truth so that men can be saved through you. Lord, I pray that uh, if there's anyone here who's, who's wondering whether you have spoken or not, whether it's a thus saith the Lord message or whether it's a thus saith man message, I pray that you would open their eyes and by your Spirit show them the truth, Lord, that what is from you is according to you and not according to man. Help them think about these things, Lord, and see that this is not a human message, that this is in fact the message from heaven from God. Lord, encourage us all in the gospel. Give us all courage and boldness, I pray, that you would fill us with the boldness we need to live in this world of pressure and man-pleasing and compromise. Lord, give us discernment and help us to speak up and speak your truth when it needs to be spoken. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you and bearing your name in this evil world. Lord, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name.